this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hello, my name is Safi Hawk. I'm one of the first-year cardiothoracic surgery fellows at the University of Miami and Jackson Memorial Hospital. I'm here today with Dr. Thomas Salerno. Dr. Salerno is one of our faculty and a tenured professor of cardiothoracic surgery at our institution. He's had previous academic leadership positions as chief at McGill University, the University of Toronto, and SUNY Buffalo. Dr. Salerno has published a great deal and done some sentinel work on myocardial protection and off-pump coronary revascularization. Dr. Salerno also now serves as the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Cardiac Surgery. Thanks for being here, Dr. Salerno. Thank you. Dr. Salerno, we know that the majority of coronary artery surgery is performed on cardiopulmonary bypass these days with the arrested heart. This may make the operation a little bit more technically feasible, but it has its own set of issues. So we have the systemic reaction to the pump run. We have the issues with aortic manipulation during cannulation and clamping. We're also faced with an increasingly um, sick patient population with more advanced disease and more comorbidities. It seems that off-pump revascularization should be something we should have in our arsenal. Before we get into it, I just want to go over a little case scenario so you can kind of give us your thoughts on that. So, Dr. Salerno, your fellow gets a call from the cath lab about a 78-year-old diabetic female with a history of hypertension, uh, congestive heart failure, and peripheral vascular disease. Uh, the patient's in the hospital with an NSTEMI and was found on a left heart cath to have high-grade osteo lesions in the LAD and the RCA, and the cardiologists weren't able to treat this well with PCI. So the patient's hemodynamically stable, labs all look okay, and we have a TTE showing an ejection fraction of about 20 to 25% and a calcified but functionally normal aortic valve. So what do you think about this patient, Dr. Salerno? Is there any additional information I should be asking about? Is this a patient that we could consider for an off-pump uh, coronary artery surgery? So I think the, in this case scenario is important from the point of view that the patient is diabetic, elderly, 78 years old, probably has chronic coronary artery disease, obviously it must have had some cardiac injury before because the EF is so low. The patient is stable, so the first thing that comes to my mind is this patient is an elective patient, semi-elective patient. There is no need for urgent or emergency surgery to be performed on this patient. Uh, my attitude towards any patients who come for coronary artery bypass surgery, the procedure should be done off pump coronary artery bypass surgery, as I mentioned to you, I'm a very aggressive surgeon. I don't believe that this operation requires the heart-lung machine for, for the majority of patients. And this particular patient is an ideal candidate for off-pump coronary artery bypass surgery when the time comes for operating on her. First of all, the lesions are very amenable to any surgeon to do it. It's the LAD, the arteries in the front. Most of this procedure for the LAD, I can do without even moving the heart and the right coronary artery. If it's a very proximal lesion, the middle of the right coronary artery is also right in front of, of, uh, of the field, so it's easy for a surgeon. <coughs> one, one of the problems is that um, uh, cardiopulmonary bypass, cardioplegic arrest for coronary artery surgery is, is a gold standard and people have been very, very reluctant to change. So if you have a surgeon who does not believe in uh, off-pump coronary artery surgery, trying to do one, one case a year, such as this patient, may find himself into trouble. So this particular patient is to undergo a simple uh, coronary artery bypass times two of semi-electively or electively uh, off-pump.
So it sounds like the, the basic workup is the same as for any ischemic heart disease that we have. We need a thorough HNP, a good set of labs, an echo, cardiac cath, vein mapping, carotid uh, ultrasound, and everything. Are there any other specific preoperative considerations we should take with the evaluation of a patient for off-pump revascularization? Okay, so I said, uh, first of all, these patients are fully worked up before, so the workup is the same for on-pump as off-pump. Um, all these people have cardiac catheterization, have an echo. I don't notice CT scan on anybody. Um, some people do, I don't, not for coronary artery surgery. So the pre-op workup is, is the same. Anesthesia is simpler because you don't put swan, you just use a TE. Uh, obviously, you have to be cautious when you anesthetize these patients that you don't treat them cavalierly, like uh, bang a lot of drugs and suddenly find yourself with low blood pressure. I always tell the anesthesiologist not to overreact. Don't start banging drugs into this patient. This patient should be reasonably stable when they come to the OR, and they usually are. Cardiac arrest at induction is extremely rare. Conversion to on-pump is extremely rare in my hand. Okay. Um, you can ask my fellows. In the last year, I can't recall having ever put a patient on pump. What would you say are the indications for off-pump revascularization? This is very simple. No, let's not make this complicated. People ask me, what are the indications for off-pump? Off-pump is for patients who are coming for coronary artery bypass surgery. Coronary artery bypass surgery is done off-pump in my hands. I don't put these patients on pump. So there is no, no workup different than the regular patient. The only difference off-pump is one approach to doing coronary artery bypass surgery. Some people do on, on, on pump, some do, do with the heart beating, some off-pump. Some people have developed uh, small incision. They call it minimally invasive, but actually it's small incisions. So indications for off-pump is coronary artery disease coming for coronary artery bypass surgery. What kind of impact do you think surgeon experience has in off-pump revascularization? Oh, major impact. I mean, uh, um, first of all, uh, you surgeons uh, put the patient on pump, clamp the aorta, and don't have to worry about hemodynamics or anything. Uh, I actually personally feel more uncomfortable having a patient on pump than off pump. Um, there are side effects of the heart lung machine, some of which you can discuss in more detail after you talk. There are issues about myocardial protection, particularly in patients with poor ventricular function. And also, uh, but the surgeon's experience is key for coronary artery bypass surgery. The sad part of all this for me as you, you've had experience with me doing off-pump, and you look how simple it is. Unfortunately, the moment you get a job anywhere else, the surgeon says, here we do on-pump. And you forget everything I thought to you about doing off-pump, which is basically a minor, a simple operation. I shouldn't <laughs> say minor. For me, it's minor. But for me, it's minor, but big for the real seriously for the patient. But this operation is very simple. The artery in the surface of the heart, I can't understand why surgeons want to put patients on-pump. You mentioned the pump. Do you do you have perfusion in the room before the case? Do you order a cardioplegia? Do... Well, that's a sad story. In, in, in our hospital, they order cardioplegia for every case, so I have a ceremony at the end of every off-pump case that I told the cardioplegia in the garbage. So for 18 years, I've been throwing three, three bags of cardioplegia in the garbage because I don't use cardioplegia. If I have to put the patient on pump, which is very rare, I do the operation with the heart beating on pump support. Um, that's as simple as that. What special considerations do you take in the hemodynamic management of these patients intraoperatively? Is your conversation with anesthesia different in these cases versus conventional coronary surgery? 
Well, I mean, you, you've experienced this. First of all, there is no, there is no preparation or anything. I, we don't put swan in any of these patients. We already have a TE. And most of, most of the, the anesthesia is carried out by residents of anesthesia. The attending obviously supervised. There is no um, in, in, in intense moment. There is no hemodynamic stability. There is no preparation. There is sometimes I don't even have the heart-lung machine set up. I don't have perfusions in the room. Um, I don't, I'm not minimize this, but just to say to you, there is off-pump is actually simpler than on-pump. We don't put swan on this patient. We don't have to come off-pump. We already off-pump when we finish the operation. So the anesthetic manager of off-pump patients for a center who does it a lot like we do is relatively simple. It's like a gallbladder operation. Before we, we start getting into the actual operation, I wanted to backtrack for a second and ask you about ventricular function. Do you take any special considerations in evaluating the ventricular function? Do you have any cutoffs? Cutoffs for what? For doing the, the surgery off pump. I don't put any volume pump. So, uh, in my view, the thing I'm afraid about is young patients have an acute MI and poor ventricular function when evolve MI. Those are, those are sick patients. Patients like this one with poor ventricular function have been ischemic for a long time. They have a, a depth with preconditioning for his heart for ischemia. So ventricular function is, the essence of this is to summarize to you, coronary artery bypass is lima to the LAV. The lima to the LAV supplies two thirds of the heart. Depending how you experience the surgeon is, you can tailor the incision in such a manner and open the pericardium in such a manner that when you open that sternum, the LAD is right in front of you. You don't have to move the heart to do the LAD. Once you do the LAD and you confirm there is high flow, measure flows, and it's patent, the rest of the operation, it becomes very simple. So the key thing is a strategy of from incision, positioning, obviously ventricular function can influence you, but I would rather operate on an old man or old woman like this than a young guy with an evolved MI. So let's move on and talk about the actual operation. I, I really wanted to get into your technique and talk about some things. So the things I was hoping you could touch on are exposure, any uh, special equipment that we have to use, any assessment of the aorta, sequencing of grafting, etc. So we can start wherever you'd like. Yeah. Maybe I can go a little bit of history with you on this because the history is fascinating. I don't know if you have time, but maybe I can tell you. Um, the, the whole story about off-pump coronary artery bypass uh, actually began with, uh, with, uh, with Benetti and, uh, and, and Buffalo. Benetti from Argentina and New Buffalo from Brazil. They began to use sutures to expose the LED. They only, could only do the limit to the LED. And then there was a spurt of interest in the small invasive incision, small incision, maybe cab, uh, um, partial sternotomy. This was, I was all part of this with Benetti, Calafiori, and, and New Buffalo. And um, so it, it, this, this evolved into um, basically an off-pump procedure. Um, off-pump, it was not well received in the beginning because the surgeons, all the surgeons have been trained on on-pump. And when I used to give talks trying to figure out how can we do all these graphs off-pump, and I couldn't. I could only do Lima to the LED until I took a trip to Brazil. I used to give lectures that used to, and, I, and people who may listen to this one day will remember, I used to give lectures to say the day I find a way of doing the circumflex, the heart-lung machine is over. And people, companies, people were kind of concerned that this might happen. Well, in a trip to Brazil, <clears throat> I gave the same talk. 
one day if I find a way. Well, a surgeon tapped in my back and said, Dr. Soler, let me show you something. And he showed me a movie, and the movie showed putting different sutures in different portions of the heart. That was Ricardo Lima. He developed a way that he could put sutures around the pericardial edge and then put a suture near the IVC in which when he pulled, the heart will come back a little bit, and he was able to do some intermediate arteries. Well, when I went back to Buffalo, I worked with Ricardo, who became my friend. He became famous because of this Lima suture. Uh, we decided that reviewing the position of the sutures that you can actually do this operation with one suture, which became the modified Lima suture. He gets credit for this. I did most of the work, but he's obviously his developed this technique. And basically, it involves lifting the heart out of the chest and put the suture posteriorly in the pericardium as high as you can towards the oblique sinus. And obviously, you have to be careful. Don't take a suture too deep. It's only in the pericardium because below there is the esophagus, which has a TE and the aorta. So you can injure those structures if you take the violet of a bite. Then you take a vaginal pack, and using that, you can pull the heart out and, and position the heart in that position. That is, became the way I did it and the way I do it. It's the simplest thing, the cheapest there is. Other people develop suction stabilizers, which are very useful. You lift the heart, you identify the artery, you put the octopus, so-called octopus. I don't have any commercial interest with any of these companies. You suction, and you're able to pull the heart. There is a cup at the apex you can use to lift the heart up so that the heart doesn't, there is no hemodynamic compromise. I do not use any of the technology that became available, um, primarily because of cost at the time, but you get used to doing certain things. But it certainly would help greatly someone who started doing this procedure. In essence, that is how off-pump coronary artery bypass surgery came to You had point. mentioned some anatomic considerations like the LAD and the location of the lesions on the RCA. Are there any other specific um, preoperative considerations we should take with the evaluation of a patient for off-pump revascularization? Okay, so the second thing I told you is uh, it, you, you look at the anatomy. For example, if the lesions are on the left side of the heart, you're going to do an LAD and a diagonal a ramus and a second OM. If you make an, an incision in the sternum and, and to the right, when you open the sternum, you're not going to see much of the left side. It creates a little problem for you. So I tend to look at the angiogram. If the lesions are on the left of the heart, left side of the lesions, I tend to tailor my incision on the sternum slightly to the left. So when I open the sternum, the left side opens, and I can see the LAD right in front of me. Opening the pericardium, surgeons tend to open it up and down. I learned this, this from Federico Benet in Argentina. You cover... you curve the pericardial incision to the left. So keep going towards the left. By the way, I never open pleura in, in patients. I try to avoid open the pleura because violating the pleura is something that I'm not interested in because of the complication that can occur after. And to take a, a, a memory down does not require open a, a pleura. Sometimes you open the pleura, you make a small incision rather than wide open it. By Making the incisions I described to you and tailor the pericardial to the left, when you, I also have developed a technique. Well, first of all, then we take the memory. Remember, every surgeon knows how to take memory, so let's skip this, this, this step. Uh, some people do skeletonize, some people do pedicle. To me, it doesn't matter. Um, as I mentioned, I, don't, I try not to open pleura because I, I think that complications from pleura opening, pleura fusion, and people that require uh, some lung procedures later can become complicated. 
Uh, once the lima stake down, you put a little suture on, on the edge of the pericardium on the left and use a malleable retractor. I now have developed a way that you can push the heart with a malleable retractor and you put the suture anterior to the phrenic nerve just to, to anchor the pericardium. So when you pull on that suture, the heart comes out without hemodynamic stability. So by doing that, I'm able to do the LAD. To do the LAD, you, as I mentioned, pull in the suture. The stabilizer I use is the simplest one, is a pressure stabilizer. Uh, Chase makes the stabilizer, but I have no commercial interest in this company. I don't use suction stabilizers. Um, it's basically a fork that presses on the arch. I open the LAD and I put a shunt so that the flow is reestablished. So I don't, I don't snare arteries. I just open the artery, put a shunt, and then I do the anastomosis conventional way. There's no rush, take all the time. We use the blower. Without the blower, you cannot do this. Once you do the lima to the LAD and fix it in place, you must, in my view, not only in off-pump, but all coronary artery bypass, pump, on pump, minimum invasive, whatever, you need to measure flows. It's the only way to find out if there is flow or not in the, lima, in the artery or vein. So I always measure flow. If the flow in the lima to the LAD, if the lima is patent, the rest of the operation is extremely simple. The chances of you getting into trouble is negligible. As a matter of fact, I always tell my fellows, the highest risk artery to do is the lima to the LAD. The second higher risk artery to do is the right coronary artery because you can get into heart block, which you can overcome by pacemaker. But since you use the shunt, it minimizes that. The simplest one is the circumflex because once you position, if the lima to the LAD is patent, you reposition the heart to the, to the circumflex, you're not gonna have any trouble during the operation. You take your time doing the operation. It's the same thing. You open the artery, put the shunt to the vein, and etc. The proximal, you put the partial clamp, which is unfortunately the highest risk of the operation, is putting a partial clamp on the aorta because it can embolize to the brain. Um, the rest of the operation is the same. Um, we don't have to come off pump because you're off pump. Happen, I tend to use, I start out by giving five, 7,000 to an ACT of 250, 280. Um, I, I put a simple chest tube in the pericardium, pacemaker wires in the right ventricle. All these patients are extubated in the OR. All the tubes and lines are removed next day. If everything goes well, they go home in th three, four days. And I think all the surgeons now have short, fast track. Uh, for all these patients. The use of balloon pump is extremely rare. Pretty much eliminate a balloon pump from heart surgery. The only balloon pumps you see are the patients coming from the cath lab with balloon pump for instability. Balloon pump stays 24 hours, removed next day. Uh, these patients go back, uh, they're eating next day, go home in three, four days. They can shower 48 hours, three, two days later. The only thing they cannot do at home is lift weights, not drive a car until I see them. Happy thereafter. The key portion of coronary artery bypass procedures, in my view, whether it's on pump and off pump, is the documentation that flow measurements of all the graphs are performed. Every time I, remove, I review a paper that talk about graph patency of coronary artery bypass graph at five years, 10 years, 20 years, if they did not measure flows at the beginning, or some other form of graph measurement control at the time of operation, that study is meaningless because a surgeon can do a lima to the LAD. It has beautiful flows, it has normal function, normal cardiogram, and that artery is occluded by the time he finished, if he doesn't measure flows. 
So what numbers are you looking for, Dr. Salerno, when you do the flows? Vernal numbers. Okay. It's diastolic flow. Okay, Fantastic. If you put the flow meter on the Lima to the LED, and you get systolic flow, that artery is occluded. Okay. Uh, and this issue of competitive flow, wow, I mean, it's systolic because there is competitive flow. I don't believe in that. I think I recommend to you to read the book that I've written on this. It's very specific about how to evaluate graphs and graph patency. I don't have any commercial interest in the flow meter, but I helped develop the meds or develop popularize the meds team in the, in the 80s for a company for Norway. I have no commercial interest in that company. But any surgeon who's doing coronary surgery should measure flows or do some other form like SPY or other form of uh, flow measurements and control of the anastomosis. You would not do a valve without echo, but you do coronary surgery without flow measurements? Are you kidding? Any more thoughts on patient selection, Dr. Salerno? Ideas on patients who we should be including or excluding from consideration for off-pump surgery? The surgeons still remain very skeptical. They select the patients. And the sad part for me, let me tell you who they select. They select the young, healthy guy that is 48, has three-vessel disease, has a whole life ahead of him, has a clean aorta, put that guy on pump. And you know the side effects of the heart-lung machine. To me, that is an individual that should not be exposed to the heart-lung machine. The old man lived his life. He can maybe a bit forgetful, not remember something. Surgeons believe that the heart-lung machine doesn't do any harm to your brain. All you have to do is to talk to a neurologist. They have clinics dedicated for patients who have been put on pump. There have been so many celebrities who are put on pump, and their affect changed after the procedure. It took years for them to recover. Some of them didn't. So the heart-lung machine has a real side effect, and it is an operation that does not require the heart-lung machine. I mean, thoracic surgeons do pneumonectomies, and they do bronchoplastic procedure. Those are ideal patients to put on pump. I mean, you put them on pump, you top, stop the lung, do your bronchoplastic procedure, don't have to worry about ventilation or anything. Coronary artery surgery, the artery is in the surface of the heart. You're skin diving, you're not scuba diving. I mean, you see the artery in the front, you don't have to cut anything. I'm not suggesting that there are not circumstances that the surgeon should not consider putting the patient on pump. Okay? It's obvious. Obviously, if I have trouble, I'll put the patient on pump. I'm going to save the patient's life. I think off-pump is just one, one technique in the armamentarium of many others available to the surgeon to do this operation. So our final point, Dr. Salerno, can you just comment on uh, your take on the outcomes in terms of morbidity and mortality, graft patency, completeness of revascularization, and needs for repeat revascularization with OPCAB versus conventional coronary artery bypass? Okay, well, again, my views may be different than everybody else, and I respect you of others. Coronary artery surgery, as Floyd Loop described, is Lima to the LAD. If the Lima to the LAD is patent, when you finish the operation, you confirm blood flow meter. Unless the patient develops distal disease, that patient probably is going to live a normal life because the Lima to the LAD will supply two-thirds of his heart. Surgeons do veins. The patency of veins compared to common stents right now are more or less the same. It could well be that as new technologies become available for stenting to be superior to veins. Techniques for veins have not changed over the years. There have been pedicle veins, the guy from Brazil, De Souza. Now we do endoscopic. People say it does harm to the vein. Um, the fact remains the patency of the veins will be the same. 
A complete revascularization, it's something that we aim at. Surgeons like to do, the, the heart has three arteries, and yet surgeons do four, five, seven grafts. I, I wish they would measure flows, and they find out that most, well, I wouldn't say most, but some of the grafts were occluded. I did the study with a new device called Symmetry. Symmetry device was developed by an engineer who sold to St. Jude, who popularized this device called Symmetry, in which you load the vein into this device and you do one pluck, pluck anastomosis to the aorta. It was very useful. So I got a small grant for them to compare Symmetry device to conventional sewing in patients in which you did Lima to the LAD and one had the vein sewn by hand and the other with device. And we followed those patients, they came back. Asymptomatic patients had the, the, the veins occluded and nobody knew about it, the patient was asymptomatic. The ones that were symptomatic is the one the lima was occluded. So we all aim at complete revascularization. We need to remember in my practice, very, I haven't done an, a redo cabbage in three years. Why? Not because I'm good at, because the car, surgeons and cardiology work together one complementing the other, and a lot of these procedures, post-cardiac surgery, they have been important figures in the United States who have coronary artery bypass done, the right coronary artery occluded, didn't go for surgery, he had a stand put in the right coronary artery, the vein graph occluded, he had a stand put in the right coronary artery. So with moderate technology of stenting PCI, surgeon and cardi cardiac surgeon and cardiologist work, work together for the benefit of the patient. So it's not simply a cardiac operation, it's a combined team approach to get a successful outcome. There are surgeons who really believe in complete revascularization, they spend hours on end doing small artery and sequential grafts, and I, I respect them. I have a more simplistic approach to when I'm doing coronary artery bypass surgery and I do Lima to the LAD, and I know that it's patent, in my mind that operation is pretty much done and I'll do the rest that's needed to be recognizing that a stent may have the same effect if it's properly, if, if the lesion was appropriate. Some, some may or may not be. So this is a change, changing field, and uh, my view, I wish I were born today, I wish my career was starting today like yours, that I would have a tremendous vision for the future, not living in the past. I don't want to learn how to do coronary artery bypass grafting on pump and cardioplegia. I'm going to change this field and move to what is tomorrow. What, what can I contribute to the future rather than dwelling in the past? Um, and that's something that I strived over the years to try to have an open mind about our, what's the future of this specialty because it's going to change. The operation I do today has no resemblance to the one I learned when I was younger. I'm very fortunate to have been part of the history of this. Actually, I have been part of the history from the days of Weinberg. Um, a lot of the surgeons who do off-pump probably got exposed to my, teaching, my teachings and my lectures. Um, but my vision is not a vision of today. Maybe if I were you, I'd look at the future.